Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the time of worship that we've had. And God, as you continue to, to work in our hearts, um, we just thank you for, for your Holy Spirit and for uh, what you are doing, what you're going to do still yet this morning. Lord, we, we thank you so much for Jillian. We thank you for the work that she has, uh, has been doing. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have been doing in her to increase her confidence, to help her to... Uh, to know you more, to take steps deeper in, into her faith, um, and to draw close to you. Lord, we pray as, as you lead her into this next uh, season of her life, that you would give her courage, uh, that you would uh, help her to remember the words that you gave to, uh, to Joshua, to be strong and courageous, and to know that you are with her wherever she goes. And Lord, we just pray that you continue to work through her, uh, and that, that the fruit, uh, that she would see the fruit of her labor already, that uh, the conversations that she has had and the interactions that she has, has had would, um, would just bear fruit and that she would uh, be blessed to see the result. And Lord, we also pray this morning, uh, as we've been praying this month for the Muslim community, Lord, we just we continue to pray for them. We pray especially for uh, those uh, Muslim men and women and children that have been displaced from their homes, whether through uh, famine or through war and violence, Lord, um, as refugees, that if they find themselves in new uh, territory and in new countries, um, Lord, we pray that that they would uh, encounter uh, men and women of God, uh, those that that believe in you and that are that are following after you, that can uh, become friends with them, that that can build relationships relationships with them and. And also to uh, spread the gospel, to share uh, the good news of Jesus with these people. Lord, we pray that many would come to know you and that their hearts would be turned towards you. And Lord, we, just, uh, we also pray for us as a, as a congregation, for this GCC uh, community, Lord, that we would uh, also mirror the words that we find in, in the Old Testament, that we, would, that we would be welcoming to the foreigner, that we would welcome the stranger into our midst, and that we would be a congregation that is uh, just wholly sold out for the gospel and bringing that gospel to those who are far from you. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you have done. We pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word and through Pastor Paul. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Our reading this morning comes from... Um, Luke chapter 22, uh, verses 47 through 48, if you would turn with me to read. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Thank you, Pastor Kevin. I want to just say a quick word here before we jump into the sermon. Uh, next weekend, we celebrate Easter, 
as a church together. And uh, I just want to let you know and remind you that we have five services next week and next Saturday and Sunday. Two contemporary services on Saturday and two on Sunday. The two on Saturday at 4 and 6, and the two on Sunday are at 9, 15, and 11. Um, all contemporary services will have full Sunday school available for your children. And so we're thanking God for all those volunteers. And then our traditional service begins next weekend at 745, not 8 o'clock. Now, if you had to pray and ask the Holy Spirit what service you should go to, it's 11 o'clock on Sunday. I mean, I'm looking out here right now. I mean, you guys are fine. You're good to go. Our 915ers, though, this is what I want you to pray for them, that they will choose another service. No. Uh, 915 was full. It was like, holy smokes. But no, really, this is really the prayer. The prayer is that we would see people come to know and follow Jesus Christ next weekend. That's the prayer. God will take care of the parking. God will take care of the seating. God will lead you to where you, what service you need to go to, what church you need to show up at. Our prayer is that people will come to know and follow Jesus Christ. This past Thursday, my wife and I celebrate Jesus Christ. We were with my daughters um, over at Bethel Church in the basement, and uh, we were just engaged in a conversation right before a meeting that we were going to have there at Bethel, and no one was downstairs, and so we began to talk to Madeline about the Lord, and we praise God because this past Thursday, my oldest daughter, six years old, Madeline Michelle Weitzel prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Very exciting. Let me just say, we don't just want that for Madeline. We want that for millions and millions of people. And so our prayer is that people will come to know and follow Jesus Christ. Would you please pray with us for next weekend? Pray for Pastor Mike as he brings the word. Pray for our worship teams as they lead us in worship. Pray that the Holy Spirit shows up and convicts and leads people into a personal relationship with Jesus. Okay, that's my announcement. I'm going to go into the sermon now. This week, amen. Yeah, this weekend and uh, on Good Friday, we're going to finish up this series, Unfiltered Jesus. Easter will be a completely uh, new series, new message, but Listen, this weekend and on Good Friday, we're going to finish up Unfiltered Jesus. Now, this series has really been tackling some of the hard sayings of Jesus. And if you've been with us, Jesus says some things that are hard. They're hard to understand. They're hard to apply. And to be honest with you, they're oftentimes a stumbling block for people that want to come to Jesus. They struggle with some of the things he taught and said. And so um, we decided let's take 13, 14 weeks and actually examine and look and unpack some of these hard sayings. And it's been wonderful, very enriching for me and for many of us. Well, today, we're not going to necessarily look at something Jesus said. We're going to look at something that Jesus did. This sermon is called Grace Like Jesus. And let me just ask you this question. How gracious was Jesus? Think about this for a second. Consider it. For three years, Jesus showed the unmerited, an undeserved favor to a very undeserving and unfavorable character. And his name was Judas. If you look up the word betrayer in the dictionary, 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 whatever that is, and you look up synonyms for it, you know what comes up? Synonyms for the word betrayer? Words like snitch and rat, narc and traitor. Turncoat, spy, backstabber, and there you will find it. 
a synonym for the word betrayer is the name Judas Iscariot. Our culture ascribes Judas's name as synonymous with betrayer. And not in just our culture. In all four Gospels, when you look at where Judas is first introduced in all four Gospels, he is always referred to as Judas Iscariot, the man who betrayed Jesus. For 2,000 years, the church and our culture has not forgotten what Judas did to Jesus. But I want you to hear this. My prayer is today that you will not forget what Jesus did for Judas. The grace that Jesus Christ showed to Judas Iscariot. I appreciate the words of Pastor Colin Smith who writes this. With his own eyes, he showed the clearest evidence. With his own Sorry, with his own eyes, he saw the clearest evidence. With his own ears, he heard the finest teaching. With his own feet, he followed the greatest example. And yet this man still betrayed Jesus. Have you ever stepped back and asked yourself that question? Why did Judas betray Jesus? The first thing, I, I look through all the verses in the Bible, by the way, that were mentioned Judas Iscariot. There's over 25 of them. And I look through each one of them, and I try to boil down, like, why would Judas do this to Jesus? I mean, if, if he had the opportunity to see Jesus and hear Jesus and walk alongside Jesus, why would you betray Jesus? And the first thing is very clear. In John's Gospel, chapter 12, we learn that Judas was a great thief. He was a great thief. John describes there's, there's a party that's being thrown for Jesus just days before he'll hang on the cross. Mary shows up with a small bottle of very expensive perfume. She breaks open the perfume, and Judas flips out. And John actually records for us what he says about Mary's great act of love towards Jesus. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later would betray him, that's the betray part, they always throw that in there, objected. And this is what Judas says about what Mary did. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. And then John adds this for us, just in case we didn't know the backstory. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Apparently, the disciples and Jesus all had one bag full of money that they would use for ministry, and Judas was a great thief. He would steal. The second thing that you discover about Judas, and maybe why he betrayed Jesus, is that he was a great imitator. They say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery, but after a while, it becomes obvious that Judas was not imitating. He was pretending. On the outside, he looked like a disciple, but on the inside, he was a devil. Matter of fact, in two of the Gospels, John and Luke, when I was reading this, they say that after Judas takes the bread from Jesus at the Last Supper, we talked about the Last Supper last week, it says that Satan entered him. On the outside, he looked like a disciple, yet on the inside, he was a little devil. He was a thief. He was an imitator. Thirdly, he was an unbeliever. If you look at all the verses that mention Judas Iscariot in the New Testament, you know what you discover? 
Judas was an unbeliever. Not one time does Judas refer to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not one time does he call him master. Judas only refers to Jesus as either teacher or rabbi. That's all it goes. Never once does he call him Lord. Even at the very moment in the garden when Judas betrays Jesus, Jesus looks at Judas. Pastor Kevin just read it for us in Luke chapter 22, verse 48. He looks at Judas and he says to Judas, are you about to betray the son of man with a kiss? And Mark tells us how Judas responds to Jesus. You know what he says? He walks up to Jesus, Mark chapter 14, verse 45, and he said to Jesus, Rabbi. Now you would expect if someone says to you, hey, listen, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? You would expect Judas to at least at that moment go, no, I'm not going to betray, or yes, I am going to betray the Son of Man. You would at least allow him to acknowledge that title. It would be like me walking up to Dr. Mike Sigmund. I don't, I don't even know if you are a doctor. I'm just making this up. But Dr. Mike Sigmund and, and he introduces himself, and he says, hey, I'm Dr. Mike Sigmund. And I said, hey, Mike. Like, it would be weird. You would expect me to at least return, hi, Dr. Sigmund. Right? Jesus calls himself the son of man, and yet Judas doesn't respond that way. He just says, hey, Rabbi. You see, he doesn't believe. He does not believe that Jesus is the son of man. He does not believe he's Lord. He does not believe he's Savior. He just simply keeps Jesus at the level of rabbi. It's interesting. The last thing I discovered was that Judas had a lot of greed. He was greedy for power and money. If you read through all these passages, he wanted fortune and he wanted fame. Luke tells us that the moment that Satan entered Judas, I'll read it for you. It says this in Luke chapter 22, verses 3 and 6. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And then it tells us what he did. Judas then immediately went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. At that moment, Satan enters Judas, and Judas then goes and hires a contract killer. He's taking out bids for the life of Jesus. And what do the contractors say? Verse 5, they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crown was present. Judas contracted them, he collaborated with them, and he consented with them. Why did Judas do that? So that he could lead them. He had a hunger for power and for fame. And what does Luke tell us just a few short verses after this incident? That when Jesus Christ is in the garden with his other disciples and he is praying sweats of blood for what is about to happen, notice who's leading the band of thugs. Luke tells us, verses 47 and 48, when he was still speaking, a crowd came up and a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. John calls Judas a guide. Either way, Judas hungered for power and for fame. With his own eyes, he saw the clearest evidence. 
With his own ears, he heard the finest teaching. With his own feet, he followed the greatest example. And yet this man still betrayed Jesus. Why did Judas betray Jesus? In his life, he was a great thief. In his life, he was a great imitator. He was a great unbeliever. He had a great hunger for power and for fame. But I don't think that's the reason why. I have lived long enough And I've sat with enough parents who have come and said to me, Paul, I've raised my kids to love Jesus Christ and to love their neighbor. I've taught them what it means to work hard and to be an honest person, not to lie and cheat and steal. And now that my children are adults, I ask this one question. What did I do wrong? Have you ever said that to somebody? Have you ever had anyone say that to you? Oftentimes in those conversations with parents, after we converse a little bit, I have found myself saying to those parents, you didn't do anything wrong. Your kids made a choice. Judas betrays Jesus Christ not because he was a great thief, not because he was a great imitator, not because he was a great unbeliever, or because of power. He does it because he makes a choice to do it. He chose to look at Jesus Christ and to betray Jesus Christ. No one forced him to do this. However, in the midst of Judas' betrayal, Please do not miss the grace of Jesus Christ on this man's life. Three examples as I look through 25 or so verses about Judas Iscariot, how Jesus was gracious to him. Do you want to know what they are? I'm going to tell you anyway. The first is this. Jesus chose Judas. He chose him. John actually tells us in chapter 6, verse 64, that Jesus knew from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And still, Jesus Christ chose this man. I think that's so interesting. He chose to allow Jesus Christ, Judas to come into his band of 12. He chose to allow Judas to watch him teach and preach and disciple and to heal the sick and give sight to the blind. He chose to allow Judas to participate, not just in observation, but also in ministry. If you read Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel, what do you learn? that Judas was given extraordinary gifts, the ability, I wrote them down, the power over demons, authority over evil spirits, the ability to cure disease, heal the sick, and in Luke 9, Judas is actually preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet in the midst of all of this, Judas was not satisfied to believe in Jesus, and still Jesus chose him. You know, friends, that's grace. The unmerited, undeserved choice of God on a sinner. You think about your own life. If you've come to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, know this. You are a sinner, and God chose you. That's called grace. Still, Jesus served Judas. It is deeply humbling to read the words in John 13 and to know that Jesus Christ washed the deceitful dust off of Judas' feet. 
John 13 opens up with Jesus saying that he knew the hour had come. His betrayer was in the room. And how does Jesus respond to his betrayer? This is what it says in 13 verses 4 and 5. Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus washed the deceitful dust off of that man's feet. Jesus has come to wash the deceitful dust off of your heart. We all have a little bit of Judas in us. And yet because of the unmerited and undeserved favor of God that we call grace, Jesus chose us. Jesus serves us. Jesus embraces. He embraces Judas. You know, it's deeply profound that Jesus allows Judas to come up to him in the garden and give him a kiss. Now listen, if you're going to stab me in the back, the last time I'm going to let you do is come up and kiss me, okay? First of all, I don't let grown men kiss me anyway, or any men kiss me. But in this culture, it's totally acceptable. But if you're going to betray me, I'm not going to embrace you. And what do you find Jesus doing? He not only chooses a sinner, he not only serves a sinner, he embraces a sinner and allows him to come and kiss him. And Judas responds with all that grace by saying, Rabbi. You see, he couldn't see it. If you want to know what Jesus unfiltered looked like, if you want to know what Jesus looked like when the cameras weren't on and the, you know, the doors were closed, this is who he was. He was gracious. He showed the unmerited, undeserved favor of God to undeserving and unfavorable sinners. And one of them was Judas. And why would Jesus do that? If you're taking notes, write this down. Great sinners require greater grace. Great sinners require greater grace. Listen, when you have been betrayed by a spouse, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, great sinners require greater grace. When you've been defrauded because of a bad business deal, great sinners require a greater grace. When you have been abandoned by your family or your friends, great sinners require a greater grace. When someone has taken from you, lied to your face, and cheated you, great sinners require a greater grace. We have all sat and heard the teachings of Jesus Christ. We have watched Jesus Christ work in other people's lives like Jillian Hargraves. We have all at one point heard him, watched him, and been witness of him. And yet Jesus continues to show great sinners a greater grace. Friends, I don't want you to miss this. 
If you look at the life of Judas and the only thing you can remember is that Judas betrayed Jesus and yet we forget the grace that Jesus Christ showed to Judas, then we're missing the point. The point is that God is gracious towards sinners. Paul would say this in Romans chapter three, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means we miss the mark. It means God has a glorious standard and we can't reach it. We can't hit it. We're never gonna hit the bullseye. It means that we are sinners. It means that we deserve hell and yet Jesus Christ has come to die for what? Us. Great sinners require a greater grace. So ask yourself, are you a great sinner? Do you require a greater grace? I think there's these little snippets in our life of God speaking to us about this grace that later on we look back and we realize, wow, that was the gracious hand of God. When I was a little boy, I used to hang out at my grandfather's house and my my pop had this awesome barn that was not, it was detached from the house. And on the one side of the, the well, it wasn't a barn, it was a garage, sorry. You know, you're eight years old, everything's a barn. But on the side of it, um, there was this rose garden. And I don't know how Pop got it, but he got roses. I mean, the, the buds on them or the heads, I don't know what you call because obviously I'm not a horticulturalist, but they're huge, okay? And I mean, they're just, people that plant flowers are gonna correct me later on this. But anyway, my brother and I, my twin brother and I decided that one day we would dig in the flower garden and Tyler grabbed a hoe or whatever it was that you're properly supposed to dig with and I grabbed a hatchet. And I'm not quite sure how this happened, but at one point the hatchet ended up in the back of Tyler's head, okay? Great sinners require greater grace, okay? Just, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> all the moms in here grabbed their pocketbooks <laughs> ready to beat me to death. Um, so, you know, you have to, like, have that awkward conversation with your parents and say, look, if you're not doing anything this afternoon, could you take Tyler to the emergency room? So, you know, I got that cleared up. I remember sitting, you know, I don't remember a lot from that day because it was very traumatic. It was like Cain and Abel type stuff. And uh, I remember sitting on the porch of my grandfather's house and just thinking to myself, I'm dead. Like, this is what the last day of my life is going to look like. I didn't have a last supper, you know, like... <laughs> You're nine years old, so all food definitely is involved with this. But I mean, in all honesty, like it was before cell phones, so it wasn't like you were getting a text message that said, Tyler's gonna be okay, don't worry about it. You know, all I can remember is I, I hurt my brother, and yet when my parents got home, I don't remember them doing anything other than just being happy that both of their sons were alive. And I look back on that, I think that was a little glimpse of God's grace saying, Paul, yeah, you, you didn't deserve it. You deserve to be punished for that. And yet you weren't. You could have killed your brother, and yet you didn't. And you think about your own life, and you think about the grace that God has shown you time and time and time and time and time and time again. And yet some of us, sit here today and we still call him rabbi. Not Lord. Not Savior. And he's shown you his grace. And so how do we respond to the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives? When you finally see it, I think the first and the most appropriate response is gratitude. 
to be gracious to a sinner that sinners should show thanks, should show gratitude. Paul told the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, verse 20, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, always giving thanks. The appropriate response to grace is to say thank you. Thank you, God, for being gracious to me. Thank you, God, for showing me what I don't deserve, what I couldn't have earned myself. Thank you for your grace. You know, Jesus is precious. Is he not? You know, think about your life, how many things you think are precious. You know, it, we look at our lives and we think so much stuff is precious, don't we? I, I mean, think about, I, I had a couple things in my life I was thinking about this week that were precious. I had a 49ers hat that my mom threw in the trash and I maybe haven't forgiven her for it when I was a kid. That was precious to me. I mean, but what's precious to you? Your wedding band? I mean, what if you were to lose that? What about some jewelry that someone gave you? Is that precious to you? When I graduated from seminary, a good friend of mine gave me a, a pocket knife that was very precious to me. He was going off to be a missionary in Afghanistan, and I thought, man, I'm never going to see him again. And he gave me this pocket knife to remember him. And so, you know, I'd put it in a bag, and to be honest with you, I'd forgotten about it until we were on, going on our honeymoon, and I had put the knife in my bag and tried to walk through the TSA security check-in with it. And uh, to be honest with you, if you want to know what happens when you try to take a weapon on an airplane, they don't let you on the plane. I don't understand why. Um, so I got stopped at TSA, and the guy's arguing with me about this knife. And Jen's standing there, and she's like, come on. And, and he's like, we're going to take your knife. And I was like, you're not taking my knife. Like, this knife is precious to me. You know, like, I'm, you don't argue with security. I don't know what I was doing. And so this went on for like five minutes, and finally I looked at him and said, sir, you're not taking my knife. My knife. And Jen's like, Paul, this is our honeymoon. Give him the knife. And I said, well, we're not getting on the plane. And of course, that was not the right thing to say, you know, when your wife is there and she wants to go on a honeymoon. And so long story short, the guy looks at me and he goes, well, there is one thing we could do. And I said, well, good. And he goes, I had a little bit of an attitude, and uh, the Lord has humbled me with that. He said, um, well, we could mail it to you, but it'd be very expensive. I said, I will pay anything to get this knife back. And uh, so, so $60 later, the knife showed up at my house. And you know, the interesting thing is I can't find the knife to this day. <laughs> That's the worst part. Like, it's, it was ridiculous, you know. In jo there's a point to this. In John chapter 12... Mary shows up with this expensive bottle of perfume. And she cracks it open. And John tells us that she wanted to bathe Jesus kind of in this perfume because it was to be used for his burial. And yet Judas argues. And Jesus then finally says to Judas, leave her alone. And then he says these words in verse 8 of chapter 12. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. You see, the issue with Judas was he wasn't a grateful man. He knew the cost of everything. He could tell you that that was worth a year's wages, but he knew the value of nothing. Who cares about the bottle of perfume what about Jesus? 
And you see, you look at our lives, right? I mean, just maybe I'm going to go on a little bit of a tirade here, but I just want to kind of ask you this. We put value in stock in things, things that moth and rust will eat and destroy. We say, this is my boat, this is my house, this is my car. Oh my goodness, I couldn't imagine my life without these things. And then years later, you can't find them because you stuck them in a drawer somewhere. Or your kid threw it in the trash. And who cares? And yet Judas was all up in arms over this bottle of expensive perfume. Who cares? Jesus is about to go to the cross and die for your sins. Shouldn't you show thanks? Are there things in this world that are more precious to you than Jesus Christ? Do you value your relationship with Jesus more than your house or your car or your church building? Things that moth and rust will eat and destroy. Gratitude. The second response is worship. The second way you respond to the grace of Jesus Christ is to worship Jesus Christ. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. And then he says this, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. The appropriate response to Jesus Christ and his grace is gratitude and to give him praise, to give him worship, to give him honor, for that is what he is due. You know, you think about our lives. How often do we miss the opportunities to say, Jesus, we thank you and we praise you for what you've done. When Madeline became a Christian on Thursday night, we were trying to explain, to, the way this all unfolded is we were waiting to go into a meeting, and we, so we decided we'd talk to Madeline about Jesus. And so, you know, we're having this conversation. I'm trying to explain sin to a six-year-old. I don't know if you ever tried to do that. It's when I wish Patty uh, Dieter or Katie Wien or Jenny Sigmund were there to say, just, just tell her, you know, tell her, tell her what sin is. You know, <laughs> it's like, how do you say it? So I don't know if this is how you should actually do it, but I said, well, sin is, you know, when you break one of God's commands. Well, what's one of God's commands? Well, like, you should not lie, and you shouldn't steal. Daddy, did you ever steal anything? Well, actually, I did steal. When I was, you know, a little bit older than you, I stole from BBs some candy. You stole from BBs? Like, you know, and all the, you know, former Amish are about to beat me to death. Listen, great sinners require greater grace, okay? Just, you know... I know, it's like, why would you ever steal from BBs and Criters, okay? Well, people do it, okay, and they need Jesus. And so I'm trying to explain this to her, and I said, yes, Daddy stole. And I said, but you know what? Daddy got caught, and Daddy gave it back. And then as soon as that came out of my mouth, I thought, man, that, that awfully sounds a lot like Judas. Sometimes the only reason we feel bad about something is because we got caught. You know, the interesting thing about Judas is at some point in this story, he comes back and he realizes that he's betrayed Jesus Christ and he feels this guilt and this shame. And Matthew actually tells us his response to it. Matthew 27, verses 3 to 4, when Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was, hear this, seized 
with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. And listen to what he says to them. He says, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And the response to Judas, the chief priests and the elders, this is what they say to Judas. What is that to us? Judas, we can't do anything for your sin. Judas, we can't do anything for your guilt. We can't do anything for your shame. We can't do anything the fact that you're a rotten liar and a thief. We can't do anything for that. And so you get the idea that, you know, only sometimes sinners only feel bad is when they get caught. And Judas is caught here and he hands back the money and he's trying to give it back. And the problem with that kind of mindset is something that we all fall into. God isn't looking for the money back. He's looking for you to come back and worship him. He's not looking for the candy bar to get back. He's looking for your heart to come back into a right relationship with him. Judas, the reason why these guys say, what's that to us, is because you really should be going to Jesus with your sin. You should be repenting before Jesus. You should give him praise and him honor, for that is what he is due. Not running to your priests. And all too often, we fall into the same trap. We know we have sinned against God, and so we run to God with all of our acts of service. We say, well, I'll serve my way into heaven. Listen, the way you get to heaven is you worship God with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not serve, not give your stuff. Those are things you do after salvation. Listen, God loves when you serve. God loves when you give things. But look, that's not how you earn his favor. His grace is unearned, unmerited, undeserved. And yet he bestows it on us because as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, it is the love of God. It is the love of God that God, rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus, that while we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. The appropriate response is thanks and praise. Run to your Savior. Don't give him back the money. It's not going to fix your sin problem. You know, as we conclude, I often think of what took place in 1779 when a slave trader gave his life to Jesus Christ. He penned these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. We thank you, Father, that Jesus Christ was gracious to a sinner named Judas, and he is gracious to us this day. And Father, that the appropriate response that we give to Jesus is thanks and praise. Lord, I have a sense that you are working in people's hearts right now. 
And it is my prayer, Father, that right now that people that are sitting in this room that have never experienced the grace of Jesus Christ or never seen the grace, they've experienced it, never seen it, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would rush upon them right now and they would feel the full weight of conviction and they would say to themselves, I now see the grace of God in my life and they would return praise and they would return thanks to you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do that. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move mightily among us. You are worthy to be praised, Jesus. We thank you. We thank God that because of his great love and mercy, he made us alive in Christ, that while we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace we have been saved. Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.